What a joy it is to be together as a church family. Again, I'm so glad each and every one of you is here, whether you're here in this building or you're joining us online. Thanks for being here today. We're in a series simply called Why Church? It's okay to ask, and we're taking some time to ask some of the fundamental questions about church. In a crazy world, why do, we, why do we gather as a church? Last week, we laid a foundation, and we said, why church? And the answer is because Jesus loves the church, and that's a great place to start. Today, we're going to lean into what it means to be committed to one another's spiritual growth. But I've got a couple questions for you as we start. We're in a culture today that is obsessed with being better. Everybody wants to look better, feel better, be stronger, be fitter, be faster, more enlightened. All I have to do is open up my phone and look at my email or look at my social media and everybody wants to make me a better preacher, a better leader, a better parent, to dress better. And I keep getting all these ads for knee braces. I don't know why. <laughs> the little people inside those computers are watching you. But everybody's trying to make me better. And they're trying to make me better ultimately for a buck. So when we think about the culture that we in, we're in right now, what does it mean to be better? Do you ever ask yourself the question, why? What is the ultimate purpose of growing? What is the ultimate purpose of being better? And where does church fit in in the process? Where does church, where does this strange gathering of people fit in that process? Well, that's a question we're going to deal with today. We're going to spend some time in some sections from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, but I want to lay a little groundwork um, first. I believe there are two different ways to begin answering the question, why church in the midst of how do I grow? I believe we can start with me or we can start with Jesus. Let me draw the contrast. The great C.S. Lewis, 1942, wrote a book called Screwtape Letters. And in that book, it's obviously a fictional account, but it's a series of letters from Screwtape, an uncle, the senior devil, to his nephew Wormwood, the junior devil. And he is trying to instruct him on how do I take this new believer and draw him away from the faith? How do I tempt him? How do I pull him away from God? Again, new believer, this is 1942, and this is what he says in one of these letters. He said, my dear Wormwood, you mentioned casually in your last letter that the patient has continued to attend one church. The patient is the subject. This is who he's trying to tempt. This is the target 
that the devil has. And one only since he was converted and that he is not wholly pleased with it. May I ask you, ask what, are, what you are about. Why have I no report on the causes of his fidelity to the parish church? Do you realize that unless it is due to indifference, it is a very bad thing? Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. The search for a suitable church makes the man a critic where the enemy wants him to be a pupil. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. So there's one way of looking at church that starts with me that says, I will become a connoisseur of churches. I will be a taster of churches. I will have my own personal algorithm of church. And it will be tailor-made for me, for you. That's one view of church. I want you to hold that view. If that's the view I have, I am always a consumer. I am always a consumer of church. What can I get is the question. Now, if I start with Jesus, there's a biblical picture that begins with Jesus. Why church? Because Jesus loves the church. And as we'll lay out, that is a view of church that says, I will always be a contributor. What can I give? What can I get? What can I give? How do we hold these two questions in tension this morning? But I believe as we lay these out, it points us to something greater. So what is the greater purpose of church? Well, let's dig in. Everybody feeling good this morning? <laughs> let's go, right? I want you to think this morning, what else could you be doing this morning? What else could you, you could be sleeping in, you could be watching cartoons, you could be eating a breakfast buffet, you could be working out, but you're here today, together. And I'm going to say that's a good thing. So let's talk about what that what that means. Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Who has a calling? Everybody. Not just the paid professionals. Everybody has a calling. Everybody has work to do. So what are we called to? What is the purpose for which we are called and what is the why? I believe one of the clearest, in case you have noticed, we're going to start with God's word here because we believe it's true. We believe that Jesus died on a cross, that he actually rose from the dead. And it's true, true, capital T, true. And if that's true, we're going to follow his word. Paul says this in Ephesians 2. 8 through 10, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let that sit on you for just a moment. We're saved by grace. It's not our work. Did anybody in here do anything more than your neighbor to get saved? No. No. It's a gift. It's something from the outside. It's, it is grace. We are called to respond to that gospel, to live and breathe that gospel. Grace is at the heart. What is grace? It is unmerited favor. You didn't do anything to earn it. I didn't do anything to earn it. We didn't do anything to earn grace. That's why it's called grace. Now, in response to that, God has great works for us to do. And the more that we understand it's not our work that saves us, the more we want to work for him. So it's absolutely critical. We're going to talk about the church and we're going to talk about how we're committed to each other's growth. But here's what I, I need everybody in here to see. We got high school kids in here that are excited for a baptism. They are dressed to the nines today. Let me just give a shout out to that group. All right, they're going to encourage some folks today. But I want you to hear this. If grace has to be the foundation of our work, because if it's not, think about this. If it's if our attitude is, I've earned it, I have earned the gifts that I have. If I'm a great teacher, that's because I've just worked really hard to be a great teacher. If I'm a great singer, I've just worked hard to be a great singer. If I'm uh, a, a great carer of people, if I have, you know, you know that I, I have earned these gifts, if that is my attitude, I will always be ruled by pride. I will always be, I don't care how long you've been in church, there will always be a pride that says, God, look at me, church, look at me, look what I've done. Oh, you're not looking at me enough. You don't appreciate me enough. Ooh. Anybody been there? I've been there. But there's pride to that. There's, the other side is shame that says, I can never be enough. I'm not good enough. I can't, I'll, I'll never measure up. Church, look at me and I'm not enough. I, I, there's no place for me. I'm of no value. No, 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 no. Grace says no. God died. He sent his son to die for every one of us. He has great stuff for everyone to do. But grace is the foundation. It is the foundation. It's absolutely critical that we understand that. Are you with me? Sometimes we tend to gravitate towards pride or we gravitate towards shame. we got to get this foundation right. Now, because if we don't, the love that we have is kind of pretend. Because <laughs> below the surface, it's always transactional. If it's about me, 
What can I get in return for my work? What can I get in return? What's it, if I do a good work, what's in it for me? Will I get the recognition? Will I get the approval? Then it becomes like the rest of the world. It's like business. It's a transaction. The gospel says our love is rooted in grace. It's pleasing God, not others. May we not be like the rest of the world that is ruled by comparison and competition. I'm meddling a little bit today. With grace at the foundation, everything changes in the church. Ephesians 4, 7 says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, when we think about grace, sometimes we think, it's just the grace that saves me. I put my faith, I put my trust in Christ, I open myself up, and I trust, and I receive, and I'm saved. Amen. Yes. And grace sustains me. Grace empowers me. Grace doesn't go away once I'm saved. The gifts that we have are a function of God's grace. Let's go to Ephesians 4.11. So Christ himself gave. That's where it starts. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what is the purpose of what Christ has given to the church? Unity? And maturity. Those are good words. Unity and maturity. Both are processes, both are fragile, both are rarely straight line up and to the right. So, four things about unity I want to go cover quickly. First of all, we have unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. So Unity is factual. It is objective. It is true, true, capital T. It is based in who Jesus is. Either Jesus died and he rose from the dead or he did not. If he did, we ought to take that seriously. And that ought to drive our beliefs. This is the core, the knowledge of who Jesus is. It's also experiential it's personal it's subjective so this isn't just an academic fact that I hold out there that I just keep in my head here but but to know it is also to trust in it and to believe it for myself so it's both objectively true all people all time it's true it happened it's an historical fact and it's experientially personally true when I put my faith and my trust in Christ if you haven't done that or you've got questions about that, please see me afterwards and we can talk about what that, I'm not going to pressure you to make an in-the-moment 15-second decision. Let's have a conversation and let's talk about what that is because that is absolutely foundational. It's also relational. 
We are created in the image of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Perfect love, perfect relationship. We are invited into that. The problem. We are sinful, selfish, prideful, ego-driven people called to live with other selfish, prideful, ego-driven people. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Them are us. The, The more I read Paul's letters, I'm like, good night he gets it 2,000 years later we got the same same stuff unity fight for it it's also progressive it's a process sometimes it dips a little bit if you're a parent you know that you understand that you get it Paul continues in Ephesians 4 verse 2 be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love That's a process. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Do I have to apply effort to be saved? No. Do I have to apply effort to love one another with the power of the Spirit, in cooperation with the Spirit, to love when it's hard, love when it's difficult? Yes, there's an effort there. Paul never said it would be easy. So there's unity, there's also maturity. We are called to reach maturity, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That means we are filled up with Jesus. That is what I am filled up with. If I don't understand who Jesus is, I don't really get it, I can't be filled up. But we are overflowing with the love of Christ overflowing if that's what you and I are filled up with what happens when we get bumped a little bit what comes out love that's when we know what we got if we get bumped a little bit and love doesn't come out I don't care how much Bible you know we got some work to do so when we get bumped when we get squeezed what comes out the whole measure of our whole selves, we are aligned with Jesus fully. Love is the measure and the marker. We can get all complicated about the Bible, and that's good. I love going deep. I love getting the meta-narrative of the Bible and all that great stuff. But it boils down to how well do we love? How well do we love? How well do we love God? How well do we love others? Greatest commandment, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors as yourself. Fruit of the Spirit starts with love. You go to a wedding. I always read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. The greatest of these is love. That's what we're called to. That's the measure. Acquiring biblical knowledge, theological knowledge, it's a great thing. But consuming a ton of information about the Bible and about God is not a guarantee of maturity. It can help, but it's not a guarantee. So what does maturity look like? Once you go to Ephesians 4.14... 
Paul says this, then we will no longer be infants. I want you to think about an infant. I thought I was going to take a, take a break this week and not talk about my granddaughter, but I'm sorry, I will anyway. <laughs> the text demands it. <laughs> Little Eleanor Ruth, eight weeks, eight pounds, one ounces, I believe. Gigi and Pops had her yesterday for the day. What a joy. So Pops, I'm now referring to myself, and the third person went out and got a little play thing, a little play gym. You got little shiny things, bright colored things. We put little Eleanor under that. Bright eyes, she's looked up, you know, start, I mean, I, I, you can tell she's brilliant right away. <laughs> but here's the thing, that toy is not going to last very long. She's going to get bored with it really quick. I want you to think about that for a moment. It's, she's going to want something shinier, something brighter, something that makes a little bit cooler noise. That won't last. When you think of infants, what do infants do? Well, they cry until their needs are met. The whole world revolves around them. As sweet as little Eleanor is, she has a sin nature. That's hard for me to even think about. But the world is about her. She Infants. Why do they act that way? They're infants. They don't know better. Paul continues, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Our attention can be drawn away if we're spiritual infants. Ah, but what's, oh my goodness, i got to roll. What's the, what's the alternative? I want you to go to verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So what is necessary for love What is necessary for growth? Truth spoken in love. So what truth do we need? We need the truth about the Bible. We need the truth about salvation. We also need the truth about ourselves. We need the truth spoken, communicated, not to be kept silent. How is truth to be spoken? In love. In love as a church with one another. We speak the truth in love. I am for you. Because I'm for you, I will risk the relationship and share this with you. So how do we get there? How do we get to this place where, you know, imagine this triangle. We have Jesus at the top of the triangle. Whatever our relationships are, as we draw nearer to Christ, we draw nearer to one another. We are growing progressively in unity and maturity. How do we get there? Take you back to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. To equip. We are committed to each other's spiritual growth. The role of leaders in the church, my role is to equip. 
other leaders, others, that, that is our job is to equip, to train. As a church, we are gathered together, called to follow Jesus, called to proclaim the gospel. Our fundamental work is to equip everyone, everyone for works of service. This is how church is supposed to work. Football season is upon us, is it not? When you go to a game, what do you do? You sit in a nice, comfortable seat. Maybe somebody's bought the tickets for you. That's usually the only way I get to go. But you're in a comfortable seat. You're there. You cheer on the team. You boo the team. You just sit there and are comfortable and eat nachos and whatever. But you're a spectator. You're a spectator. Church is not a spectator sport. It is not a spectator sport. We are called to get into the game, use what God has given us. Everybody in here has a gift. Use what God has given us. To bring other people in, to equip, to do all those things that God has called us to do. And in that, there is a life of joy. In that, there is a life of joy. Now, I could talk a lot more about this, but there's a show and tell to preaching. I have told you some things. Now I want to show you a picture from one family of what this looks like. So I want you to take a look at this a uh, little video from Austin and Amanda Jacoby. Hi, we're Austin and Amanda Jacoby. Um, we started attending Community Church of Greenwood when I was pregnant with Hadley. So our kids have, have largely grown up in the church and in many ways I feel like we have too. Since our time at Community Church of Greenwood, we have served and uh, gotten plugged in into uh, small group facilitation my um, teaching fourth, fifth, and now it's converted into sixth grade. Um, Amanda's helped at the gathering place um, and, and worship um, for adults and for youth. Why do you think we've, I don't know, found ourselves doing, doing so those, yeah, doing those different things? I think that in some ways it started as just this desire to carry our own weight. So our initial why I think was kind of just to give back, feeling like that's the right way to do things. Um, but there wasn't necessarily always a bigger or grander reason than that. But I do think that's kind of evolved over the years, especially as we've become parents and had that desire um, to, to pass things on to our own children and raise them up to know the Lord. You think you're doing something to like, to sacrifice. And I think we quickly realized that the benefits, like the reason God wants us involved and plugged into a community and unified in a community is because he has so much for you. So God has like this plan for, it's like to benefit you too. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that what we've seen is like, we've had this close fisted um, type of mentality on like, whether it's like our money or our time or the talents God's given us. And we have this like this story or this plan, like mm -hmm. these certain goals. And what we are learning currently, I'm mm -hmm. not saying we've learned it, but we're learning currently is that when we loosen our grip on those things, our money and trusting God with like how we should organize that, um, or our time or the skills he's given us, 
we've realized like joining him in his story and like trusting him with our desires and inviting him into some of those service things, like he has such a awesome plan mm -hmm. um, for the body. I think it's kind of twofold. I think it's important to be aware of the needs of the church and find ways to get plugged into those things. But I also think it's being attentive to giftings in other people and, and um, speaking to that and being willing to um, encourage others to serve is really important as well. Isn't that awesome to hear? Here's what, I, here's what I love about that. When you start off with the idea that I'm going to give, the hidden secret of serving is you get so much in return. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the challenge of your word to lead us into unity and maturity and equip each other so that we can do the work that you've called us to do that you've already prepared in advance for us to do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.